Boy, good looking crowd here today. As I look over the faces of the bunch here today, I can't help but think how blessed this church is to have you guys here as members of our church. And I look across there and I see many folks that have a, a lot of physical issues. Uh, we've got some folks in here that uh, are dealing with cancers. We've got some folks dealing with other kinds of issues. And I got to, I just sitting there and, and, and uh, not to embarrass this person or anything, but I, I want to say something about Lila. Lila had appendix surgery just the other day. She went back into the hospital last night and came home today, and she's here at church today. She don't feel good. Her face tells you that. She doesn't have to tell you that. Just look at her. But you see, she's here to worship the Lord. As a teenager, you're not supposed to have to deal with that kind of stuff. You know, as adults, we do. But not as a teenager. So I want to ask, who am I going to ask? I want to ask... is Mark here? No, he's not here. Uh, I want to ask Clarence. Clarence, lift up, lift up Lila for us, would you please? And and those that are dealing with other issues, I won't give their names out, but just we've got some struggles. Would you pray for us, please? Amen. Thank you, Clarence. Thank you. We'll be in Ephesians 4 if you want to turn there. Uh, We're still in our series called A Picture of a Christian. Uh, That is the series title. The message is Lay Down That Old Shirt. Lay Down That Old Shirt. We've been looking at the last couple weeks about a picture of a Christian and how as Christians we are, are called to have our lives uh, bring glory and honor to the Lord. We've been, we've been called to be separate, to be sanctified, to live holy and righteous lives. And how do we do that? Well, we're working on that. Last week we looked at how not to be a Christian, <laughs> what, a, what it looked like not to be a Christian and how that dishonors our Lord. So today we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last Sunday. Last Sunday we, we kind of finished up a little bit with uh, uh, laying aside the old self and putting on the new self. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today in, in Ephesians. Uh, uh, the, the main, the main uh, uh, verses are Ephesians 4, but we're also going to look at Ephesians 2 today. But we're going to look at this old self and the new self. The old self refers to that time of your life before you were born again, before you were a Christian. That is the old self, the Apostle Paul would, would tell us. He gives us a picture of the old self, if you would, uh, in Ephesians 2. So I just want to go there quickly, and we'll come back to 4 here in just a minute. And he gives us a picture. I think we need to understand who the old self is. And we need to understand who the new self is. 
And we're going to work on that to get today and put that together. But we've got to understand who we were before we were ever born again. So we look here in Ephesians 2, and Paul gives us some, a description of an unbeliever. One who has never been born again. One who is still in the old self, if you would. And he says in verse 1, he says, And, and you were dead in your trespasses and your sins before you were saved. He said, you were spiritually dead, if you would. The Bible says in John 3.36, at the very end of John 3.36, he said, for those who have never been born again, he says, but the wrath of God abides on him. See, See, before you were saved, you had a problem. You were dead in your sin. You're dead in your transgressions. And the Bible says the wrath of God was upon you. That's not a pretty picture. And then it says in verse 2, he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Before you were saved, you pursued all the worldly things that you wanted to preserve. You pursued, pursued all the passions and all the pleasures and all the things that, it, that the Word tells you that, that will make you happy. But there was no thought of God in your life. And then it says you were, you were uh, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. What's he saying about that? Before you were born, you were living for the devil. You were probably living like the devil. <laughs> and the Bible says you were living for the devil. And you say, well, no, that, that, that's not really right. I wasn't, I wasn't that kind of a, I wasn't a bad person, really, before I got saved. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't murdered nobody. You know, I hadn't raped nobody. I hadn't done all these big major sins. How can you say, Don, that I was living for the devil? Well, Matthew twelve thirty says it this way. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Ooh, that's kind of cutting it close, isn't it? He who is not with me, he who has not been born again, is Against me, Jesus says, okay? So before you were born again, you did live like the devil. You did live for the devil because you were against Christ and his salvation. I need you to remember that. And then it says in verse 3, it says, Among them you too formerly lived in the lust of the flesh and desire." Indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind. Your thought process was not good. Your actions were not good. They were unclean. You had all kinds of things going on in your mind that were not right. Then he says, and he says that you were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. Before you were born again, you faced God's judgment and you faced God's wrath. When the great white throne judgment will happen someday and every unbeliever will stand before Christ and try to give an accounting of their lives, they will have nothing to stand on. And all that they will be dished out will be the wrath of God will be dished out upon them. And that is for every unbeliever on this face of this earth. And that's who you were before you were born again. And Paul will tell us in, in, in Ephesians 2.22... Lay aside that old self believer. 
You're not like that anymore. Get rid of that garment. Take off that garment of sin and, and old self and lay it down. Put it aside. Burn it in the trash. Do whatever you got to do. But believer, that is not you now. That's not who you are. Get rid of that. Lay it down. Burn it. Because that is now dead to you. And then the next verse, starting in verse 4. It starts with a great two words, but God, but God. In the next three verses, it talks about what it means to be a believer. You see, when you read in the Bible where it says, but God, that is a huge game changer, okay? When God steps into the picture, something good is going to happen. Something big is going to happen. And here you were in verses 1, 2, and 3 as an unbeliever. But then it says, but God. But God stepped into your life. That is an amazing two words. He says, being rich in mercy, believer. Aren't you glad God does not give us what we deserve? Aren't you glad that when we first sinned, he just didn't zap us and got us out of here? Aren't you glad after the first hundred sin, the first thousand sin, the first 10,000 sins in your life that he did not give you what you deserved? I am so thankful for that. I'm so thankful he was patient with me and he's patient with you and he just kept hanging on until you came to him. Why? Because he says, I am rich in mercy. I want to extend mercy to you. I don't want to have to give you what you do deserve. And the reason why is that you need the next few words says because he loves us so much. Believer, never get over the fact, believer, that he is rich in mercy and he loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross just for us. He says in verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when we had this old self, even though we've never believed in him yet, he says, we were made alive together with Christ, for by grace we have been saved. He took us from a dead old sinner, headed for eternal darkness, and the Bible says he pumped new life into us, if you would. He gave us a new life. He gave us a new passion, a new priority, and a new purpose in life. Aren't you glad that he did that, Christian? Remember that. Don't forget that. He's made us alive. And then it says in the next verse, he says he's raised us up now and forever. He's seated us in the heavenly places now and forever. And I love this next verse, verse 7. Verse 7 says this. He says, so that in the ages to come, the ages to come. What is he talking about there? That could be talking about today. It could be talking about tomorrow. It could be talking about next year, next decade, next hundred years, next million years, whatever eternity is and whatever that age is. But in the ages to come, believer, the ages to come, whatever that is and however long that is, what does he say there? Man, this is good stuff. So that he might show his surpassing Riches of his grace in kindness. One of these days when we meet Jesus and we get to live with him forever and ever, first in heaven and then later on in the new heaven and the new earth, he has created something for us that we cannot even imagine. First Corinthians 2 9 says, No what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of God has imagined 
what God has created for us. And guess why he created that? Because he loved us and he wanted to show off his grace to us. He said, this is my grace. This this is what I've done for you. And I've done this marvelous, marvelous thing. And it's called heaven. It's called eternity. It's called being in the very presence of holy God, the one who created the universe and hung the stars and the moon. We'll be in his presence forever and forever. And he wants to give us that. He wants to show us that. It's kind of like he's saying, you know, for my people, my children, I want to show off a little bit. I'm going to show out a little bit. And you will not be able to understand until you get there what my grace has done for you. I want to be so kind to you. I want to be so loving to you that, man, one day, forever and forever and forever, times forever, I'm going to be able to show off and show you what I've done just for you, my children, that have accepted me as Lord and Savior. Believers, I hope you never, ever forget that. You see, that is the new self. You've laid aside the garment of old self, and you have now put on the garment of new self. And that garment of new self says, I have been born again. I have been renewed, and I have been regenerated. I am not the same person. I am a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I am a new person. I am a new self. I have a new nature, if you would. My nature says, now I pursue the things of God. I go after the things of God. I want to pursue the things of God. I want to have perfect fellowship with the things of God. And God has given me this new nature, and he took this old nature that I had from my old self, and he's taken that away from me. He's taken away that self where I pursued the darkness and the sins of this world, and he's taken that away from me, and I have buried that, and that's no longer part of me, and i got to get rid of that. Man, God is so good. That is the new self, guys. That is the new self that we have been born again. It is a person who lives in fellowship with holy God. See, when we got born again, we have a right relationship with him. He gave us his righteousness and he took our sin. Man, I said, that's a good deal for us. Okay? We're in fellowship with God. We, we are obedient to God's world and we are devoted for serving him. That's what the new self is, guys. We are devoted to serving him. We want to be obedient, man. We want to be in fellowship with him. It's a person who does not live by the pattern of this world, but he is being transformed in the spirit of his mind so that the way you live, the way you behave, the way you think, the way you speak will be changed, okay, to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Our stuff is modified now. Not like the world, but he has changed us and he's modified us and he's given us a new purpose and a new plan in life. That is the new self, Christians. In verse 24, chapter 4, he says, put on the new self. Put on the new self. Do you see the difference between the old self and the new self? I sure like the new self better, don't you? That old self was just like, ugh. Don't ever go back to the old self. Lay it aside. It's dead to you. I got to get rid of that. That has no part in the life of a Christian. That old self. 
And I know every one of you go, yeah, that's right, Don, that's good stuff right there. Okay? In the next six verses, Paul is going to tell us about six garments, six sins, if you would, that will attack us as believers. Six things that we got to lay down that, that, that spring up in our life from the old self. You know, we, we say, yeah, it's gone, that's good. But we live in a real world, don't we? And we have a real enemy. And he's going to try to bring stuff up that, that we're dead to. But he's sure going to bring it up so he can ruin this new self, this new person that we have become. And Paul says, I want you to know what these six are. I want you to be looking out for these six because they're coming to you. They're going to come to you and you're going to have to deal with them. We're going to tell you how to deal with those in just a minute. Lay these aside, Paul would say. Put on the new garment, the new self. In verse 25, he says the first garment that we must lay aside that that will spring up from the old self. He said, lay aside all falsehood. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Speak truth, or the first one would say, lay aside the garment of lying, of false witness, of bearing false witness. Making false, misleading, deceiving statements. Camouflaging the truth, misrepresenting the truth. You know what a lie is. Uh, Well, it's just a little lie. It's just a white lie. It's a pink lie. It's just a light gray lie. No, it's false. It's deception. You know what they are. And Satan will bring this up to you in your new self. And you said, oh, just, 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 just a little one won't hurt. But the Bible is very clear about falsehood and speaking lies and not being truthful and not being deceptive. You see, the first thing it says here in, in Exodus 26, it says it's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not be lying about your neighbor. Do not be gossiping about your neighbor. Do not be spreading false, falsehoods about your neighbor. Do not lie about your neighbor. God thought that was so important, he put it in the top ten of his list of things to do or not to do. In Matthew fifteen nineteen, we see how serious God takes lying. He says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. He has listed false, uh, listed lying as one of the big sins, if you would. He's listed it on the same verse, on the same line, as murder and adultery and fornication and stealing. And he says, that is just as big as lying. Lying is just as big as those. You see, he takes it very serious because he believes truth is where it needs to be. And when we shade the truth and and deceive the truth, that is just as bad as if you're committing some other huge crime, huge sin. We don't think that way, do we? One won't hurt. Nah, nah, it won't. The Bible says it is just as serious as any of the the big, big sins, if you would. God takes untruthfulness seriously. John 8, 44 tells us of the father of lies is the devil. When you choose to start speaking lies and not being honest, 
you are acting just like the father of lies. And that is the devil. That is, that's a kind of a hard statement. That one lie ain't going to be like that. Where does that lie come from? The lie comes from the very heart of the enemy, of Satan, the father of lies. Jesus said, don't be that way. Speak truth. Don't be like that guy. And then he says, it's also in, in, in Thessalonians, he talks about lying is just like the, the spirit of the Antichrist. Boy, it's getting heavy here. You didn't think lying was that big of a deal. The Bible says, yeah, it's a huge deal. It comes from the father of lies, and it is a spirit of the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says it this way. That is the one who is coming. That is the Antichrist. Because that's what those verses are talking about. It is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all the power and signs and false wonders. Everything the, the, the Antichrist will do one day will be deception, will be false, will be lying. Man, he's, he sent just a little lie. Is, is comes from the father of lies, yeah? You mean it's just a, it's the spirit of the Antichrist who is be, be nothing but deception? Yeah. You see, you see, God says, I don't want that in your life, Christian. I don't want that. He said, take that garment of lying and put it down, lay it aside, don't let it come back up to you. He'll, let, he'll try to get it to come back to you, lay it aside. Take off the garment of lying and put on the garment of honesty, believer. Don't let that creep into your life. The second thing he says in verse 26 about the garments we must take off as believers. He says, be angry and sin, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Did you know there's two kinds of anger? Two kinds of anger. The selfish anger that we, that we see all the time. It is an anger that says, I'm not going to forget what you did. I'm not going to forgive what you did. It's an anger that says, I, I, am, I am against you forever. It is an anger that says, I would like to inflict harm upon you, either verbally or physically. It is an anger that just will not go away. It is a selfish anger. And ladies and gentlemen, when you, in that state of anger, in that, that, uh, that idea that it just, I just won't give it up, you got a problem. Because here's what it says. He says, you can be angry, but don't sin with it. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. And he says, if you have this selfish anger, he says, don't let the sun go down. Deal with that anger today. Find out what's going on and get with that person and reconcile with that person today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for the next day. Because when you wait for tomorrow and you wait for the next day, that anger is not going to go away. That anger is all it's going to do is fester inside of you. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse. And it's just going to begin to explode. And one day it will explode out from, out from you. And now you've got a really big mess. The Bible says if you're going to be angry, if you have that selfish anger, get rid of it before the sun goes down. And he gives us a reason why. So that you will not give the devil an opportunity. All he needs is a little crack in your life where he can stick his foot in there. And all he wants to do is divide. How many marriages have been divided over this verse? Being unable to release the anger 
unable to get rid of it that day, to keep the anger for on, for on, and on, and on. And all you're doing is allowing the devil to put a wedge between your marriage. He's allowing a wedge between your other relationships. He'll put a wedge between church members and churches when you don't do what the Bible says. If you have somebody that you are that angry with, I would suggest to you now to get with them today and begin trying to solve the problem. We say, what if they don't want to do that? That's not your problem. All you do is you try to reconcile. If they don't want to, that's not on you. You're doing what God has told you to do. The second kind of anger is righteous anger. You might call it righteous indignation. It is anger that is directed towards an evil or an injustice. I thought of Jesus as he walked into his church. (laughs) And the money changers were there. The businessmen were there. The donkeys and the chickens and the doves were going everywhere. And he walks in and he sees this and it makes him angry, the Bible says. And we know he never sinned, but it made him angry. And what did he do? He cleaned the place out. He overturned the tables. He ran the donkeys out. He shushed the birds away. And he said, my house is a house of prayer. Not of this garbage that's going on. And it made him mad. And he took that anger that he had and yet he never sinned. But he tried to remedy an evil or an injustice that was going on in his church. That is righteous indignation. That is good kind of anger. It's an anger that says, I don't want to harm you. I don't want to hurt you. But I sure do need to correct the issue if we can. Abortion makes me angry. Someone being bullied makes me angry. Suffering makes me angry. War makes me angry. Persecution of Christians makes me angry. I need to take that anger, that passion for those issues and other issues that that people have and take that and do something about that. That's what it means to be righteous angry. Jesus did something about the issue of his church. You and I must take that same anger and that same passion and do something about an issue that makes you angry. And the Bible said, that's okay. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry about the injustice or the evil that you're seeing in in your world. And do something about it. Paul says, lay aside that, that garment of selfish anger. And put on the garment of love. Third thing we see here in verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has a need. The Bible says stealing is taking something from that belongs to somebody else. I would never do that. I would never steal. It could be as minute as taking a pencil from work to embezzling the funds at work. It could be um, 
seeing someone in need and not providing for that need. It could be overcharging for a job that you did. The Bible would call that stealing. The Bible says not turning your tithe in is stealing. Malachi 3, 8 through 11, go read it. Not tithing is, the Bible says you are robbing God of what God has given to you. It is spending money that you have for necessities. No, that's not, that's not stealing. But not saving some for, for somebody else. You know, we are to where the remedy for stealing is what? It's work. Get a job, paying your bills, making a living. But is that the only reason why we hit it every day? Is that the only reason we go eight to five every day, five days a week, just to make a buck or two so that we can pay our bills? Yeah, we got to. I understand that. We, that's the world we live on. But there's more to it than that. There's more, there's, there's more to it. There's a spiritual view of work. Yes, we're supposed to work. I mean, the Bible says you ain't going to work, you don't get to eat. I mean, that's what it says. But there's more to it than that. He says, I want you working. And the last part of 28 says this. So that he will have something to share with one who has a need. Why do you make money? To pay your bills? Yes. Biblically speaking, why do you work? So that you'll have something so that you can share with somebody else. Did you know that there are needs in this community did you know there's needs in this world I got a call this week from a pastor friend in Zimbabwe he says Don we got to have some Bibles we have some. he said there's a cult that's going around in Zimbabwe that's going around and and saying this Bible is false this Bible is outdated this is not God's word to us in this Bible, if you have one, you need to get rid of it. And he says, Don, I got to have, I need Bibles. I got believers who have heard that and, and kind of want to believe that, but they want to believe in Christ, and we got to have Bibles. Okay, I, I got you. You see, there's needs all around us, here and there. And if you're working and all you do is spend it on yourself, that might be a little bit of an issue, okay? He says, We work. So that someone else who has a need might be blessed. Put away the garment of, of stealing and put it on the garment of sharing what you have. Verse 29, it talks about worthless, <laughs> worthless talk. The garment of worthless talk. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it may give grace to those who hear. Filthy, foul, corrupt, polluted, profanity, immoral talk, dirty jokes, off-color humor, posting stuff on Facebook that's not right. The Bible says that's worthless talk. Christian, we ought not to be like that. And I like what James 3 says about that. It says it a lot better than I can say it. But James 3 has an opinion about the way we speak and the way we talk and what comes out of our mouths. 
And in James 3, it, in starting verse 8, it says this. He says, but no one can tame the tongue. Yeah, the tongue is <laughs> it's hard to tame. It is restless, it's evil, and it's full of deadly poison. We know that. You can really hurt somebody with your tongue. You can belittle somebody. You can almost kill their spirit with the tongue. We know that. We've got Christian that ought not to be. And in verse 9 it says, With it, this tongue, the way we speak, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. We bless men. We bless our Father. We come to church. We bless what we sing. We bless. And we leave these doors, and then we talk about other people. We gossip about them. We take the Lord's name in vain. We use profanity. But when we come in here, we praise God. Next verse says this. From the same mouth comes both blessings and cursings. Christian, that ought not to be you. Christian, that cannot be you. That is old self stuff that is dead to you. Paul says that's... We can't be like that. And I like the rest of that verse where he says, From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. And then he says, My brethren, my Christian friend, is what he's saying. These things not, ought not to be this way. Ought not to be this way. I mean, I have, I have people that will use profanity in front of me. Some Christians, some church members. Whoa. I have people that use the Lord's name in vain. I ought not to be that way, Christian, he says. I, have, I see things on, posted on Facebook that uh, what I believe a Christian has posted, and it's laced with profanity. And then I see Christians who go, like, like, heart, like. James would say, these things ought not to be this way, Christian. And I'm not getting on to you, but I want you to understand that is the old life. That is the old self. That is the way you used to be. <clears throat> you've got a new nature. You've got a new self. You've been born again. You've been renewed. You've got a new nature, a new spirit. That ought not to be that way, James says. Put down the garment. A filthy talking, worthless talk. And put on a garment of clean speech and truth. Christian friend. Why do we do that? Why do we speak like we're supposed to speak? What should be coming out from our mouths is the last part of that verse of 29. What comes out from our mouth should be for edification, the Bible says. To build somebody up. To encourage somebody. We live in such a negative world. Just saying something good about somebody kind of helps, doesn't it? You receive a compliment or something. Makes you feel good. That's what he's saying there. The things that come from our mouth must not be that trash. It must be edification. must be encouragement. must be a helpful tool to help somebody that has maybe having a bad day. You see, Christian, that's what it means to put on this new self of speaking truth and speaking love and speaking encouragement and getting rid of that old garment that we want to hang on to. 
Two more real quickly and I'll be done. Verse 30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. It's the garment of disobedience. The garment of disobedience. Well, you say, I, I, don't, I don't grieve the Holy Spirit. don't want to, at least. You see, that's not, that's not a mild suggestion there. That is, a, that is a hard commandment. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Christians do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What's say, how, how do I do that? How do I grieve the Holy Spirit? When we as a Christian pursue the things of this world and leave out the things of God, that grieves the Holy Spirit. When we pursue the world more than we pursue God, that grieves the Holy Spirit. When a Christian pursues immorality, that grieves the Holy Spirit. When a person acts unjustly, not doing the right thing, that grieves the Holy Spirit. When Christians participate in anything that goes against God's will in their life, that grieves the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do that, do we? We don't want to go down that list and go, man, I want to live for this world. I want to go into immorality. I want to act rude and unjustly towards other people in the church. I'm going to pursue the things. No, because that grieves the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been given to you and I as believers for what? The Bible says, seal for the day of redemption. Holy Spirit is our down payment. It says, when you have the Holy Spirit, that is, that is God's promise to you and to me. That when you die, you'll be in heaven forever and forever. Why do you want to grieve the Holy Spirit? See, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God that lives within you. Christian believer, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Lay aside the garments of disobedience and put on the garment of obedience. The last one that we've got real here quick is verse 31. Take away this garment of bitterness. 31, 30, 31 32, it's some of my favorite verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you along with all malice. Get rid of the bitterness. Get rid of the, the, the anger, the wrath that's, more, that's bigger than the anger. Get rid of the clamor which is quarreling all the time. Get rid of the slander that is speech that is designed to hurt somebody else. He said, get rid of all that, get rid of all that malice. Malice is the intent to hurt somebody. Christian, he said, get rid of all that. Get that, take that garment and get rid of it. Burn that garment of bitterness and unkindness. Because it has no place in the life of a Christian. Verse 32, we will start there next week. So what do we do? Christians, what do we do? When these kinds of garments keep coming up in our life, when we, we have this desire to, to not tell the truth, a desire to become selfish in our anger in the way we approach things, or we just want to go, ah, nobody, nobody will ever know. Or we begin to, our speech begins to be colored blue. 
or we choose to gossip, we choose for disobedience, we choose to be unkind. What happens? How do we deal with that, Christian? Because it's going to come. The old self is going to come back to you because the enemy is going to make sure it comes back to you. What do we do? How do we deal with that? Well, I think we deal with it like the guy that has roaches in his house. You know, you, you, you sit there at the house and you see a roach and what do you do? There's another one. And you do your very best to stomp that roach out. And you think, I got rid of them. And then five minutes later, here's two more. And you run over there and you try to stomp those out. Then you try to run over and stomp those out. And are you ever successful? No, because they just keep coming. They just keep coming at you. So what do you end up doing? You end up calling the the exterminator. And the exterminator comes over there and hoses everything down. And, you know, two days later, all those roaches are dead. And here's what I believe as Christians we need to do. We need to call the exterminator King Jesus. When we try to stamp out lying in our life. Well, I got that one done. And then, uh, and then anger shows up. I think I've got that one conquered, but then anger shows up. Okay, I got that one done. Disobedience shows up. I think that guy went, oh, wait a minute, here's lying again. You take the garments of sin that we've talked about. You in your own strength and your own power cannot eliminate those from coming into your life. Believer. Believer, so what do we do? We go to the exterminator, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we say, Father, I am struggling with this, this garment of lying. I, keep, I, keep, I, can't dis, I can't do it anymore. Guess who's going to help you eliminate that bug? Jesus is going to eliminate it for you. When stealing comes and anger comes and disobedience and bitterness comes in your life and you can't control it, you can't deal with it. And you try to, but you can't in your own strength. You go to the grace exterminator, King Jesus, let him do it for you. Give it to him. Father, I can't, I can't deal with this lying anymore, but I can't stop. Guess who will empower you to do that? Why do you get to have that power? Because you are a child of the king. (laughs) You are born again. You have been saved for an eternity. He is wanting to to show you the richness of his mercy forever and forever and forever. And he says, I will give you that power and that strength because you are one of my children. And because I don't want none of that stuff in the life of my believers. And I will help you to defeat that, Christian. We've got to get in the business Christian friends to eliminate the garments and the roaches of the old self world we've got to put on the new garment of Christ the new garment of God and why do we put that on there so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling we allow sin into our lives we're not going to be walking like we're supposed to Rhonda, as we begin. Believers, we've got to take off the old self. 
We've got to get rid of the sins that come our way so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Our life can be a light in a dark world, that our light can shine for the gospel. Our light can be so, so bright that somebody else wants to know why, why you're like how you are. <laughs> That's what he wants. So we bow our head and close our eyes. Believer, are you living in the, with the new self? Or are you still hanging on to the old self? That's my question I want you to answer for yourself today. Only you would know that. And then talk to Holy God about it. Let Him help you there. As the piano plays, eyes are closed. Deal with the Lord, please, at this time. <laughs>